But today we are jumping into, back into our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, by show of hands, who has heard of this book before this series? All right. Has anybody read this book before this series? I was going to say, that's probably, there's probably less of you. I think that this is only the second time I've read through this book, honestly. Um, and uh, I think a lot of times these books, the reason is because nobody wants to, like, go through, like, the long Old Testament books that are usually not, they usually don't have stories and things like that. So they're a little bit harder to read, and it's a bit more of a challenge. But I want to tell you guys and encourage you, most, a lot of youth groups don't do this kind of stuff. We're reading through, like, Old Testament books, hitting the hard stuff. Uh, this is unique, and I, I hope you guys learn and see that there's uh, something to appreciate here. And last week, Johnny introduced it, and this is a relatively uh, light book uh, because all Johnny talked about last week was that life is meaningless. So, you know, the easy stuff comes out from, the, from this book. Uh, I'm just kidding in case you actually were thinking I was serious, but uh, I would come up here and tell you, hey, like, this one's going to be easier. It's not. Um, it's it's going to be hard. Uh, Ecclesiastes is, is a book that I like to call a reality check. Um, it's the moment when we can see what God has for us and some of this true understanding of what it looks like to follow him. And so this is my heads up. This is my warning to let you guys know that uh, this is going to be a little bit of a tougher one. But I want you guys to lock in. I want to encourage you guys to hear this. Uh, we are going to be going through a good chunk of uh, text today. But this is really applicable for us. Um, I think that's the unique thing about Ecclesiastes is this stuff is very real. Um, but to start, uh, a lot of you guys know I like movies. Uh, and I use a lot of movie examples when I, when I come up here to teach or to talk in front of you guys. And uh, I've used a lot of Disney movies when I've come up here. And so the most recent one I could think of is Coco, which I love Coco. Coco's an awesome movie. Uh, and then I've also talked about Wally up here, which is a terrible movie, but some, for some reason you guys think it's awesome. I don't get it, but uh, <laughs> that was good, that was good. Uh, but the thing about these Disney movies, like, I used to love them, I used to think they're awesome, but they're kind of getting a little samey. Like, I haven't seen Elemental, and I'm not going to lie, I probably won't. Um, and most of these movies kind of end up having the same theme. And that's usually what gets us. That's what makes us cry. That's kind of what kind of hooks us in. And more often than not, the theme of these movies is to seek the thing that you want, and then once you have that thing, you'll have satisfaction. More often than not, that's what it is. So like, for example, for Finding Dory, I thought of this one, that a lot of times what that movie is, is like things in life will get hard. There's difficult moments. And when those difficult moments come, just do something else and it'll make you feel a little bit better, all right? It's not a great theme. Uh, or Ratatouille. I love Ratatouille. I think Ratatouille's awesome. Is there anybody else that loves Ratatouille? All right, good, good, good. Uh, people don't like that movie. But the, one of the goals of that movie, the outcomes of that movie, is that your happiness is what is most important. It seems pretty selfish, right? When you really think about it, it seems pretty selfish, and what the world tells us constantly is that what we deserve is to be happy. What we deserve is that we need to be satisfied, that we should be fulfilled, that ultimately what help, helps to make us feel like we're on that mountaintop moment is what we should have. And that's a lie. Like I said, the book of Ecclesiastes, that's a reality check. This is going to be one of those hard ones because we have to look inward and see and ask what makes us truly fulfilled? 
What makes you truly feel like I, like I am full? Will you feel fulfilled when you're happy? Will you feel fulfilled when those specific people, whoever they are, are in your life? Where do you seek that fulfillment? Really think about that. Take a second and really think, where do you feel most fulfilled? I think most of the time, the fulfillment that we seek is sought after in the wrong places. And ultimately, it's not going to satisfy. And so today, we're going to be going through almost two chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're not going to read through everything, uh, but... What we're going to see is that this story or this narrative is ultimately talked about in a way that we need to understand that we are foolish. Let me ask this before we start anything. Who wrote the book, or depending on who you ask, who, who do we most likely think wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Does anybody know? Solomon, yeah. Uh, and that's going to play a factor into what we're talking about today. So I want to make sure that's established. Uh, Solomon, and Johnny, like I said last week, talked a little bit about the understanding of the life is meaningless. Life is, there's not much under the sun. Things are vanity. And so today, we're going to start by looking at how are we foolish? What does our foolishness look like? What ways do we fail? And how do we seek after the wrong things? And so we're going to start, like I said, by looking at our foolishness. And the first thing that we're considering is our foolishness in wisdom. So Solomon wrote this, and that's a pretty big part of what we're talking about today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at verses 16 through 18 real quick to see why he talks about wisdom. It says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Solomon was considered a very wise person. Like the most wise uh, that, is in, that we see from the Old Testament. Wisdom is something that was blessed to him by God. And we, when you read stories, you hear these amazing moments of Solomon using wisdom that was given to him to create or help to understand these situations. And Solomon, he's saying, I went after that. I wanted that wisdom. I received that wisdom. And it wasn't enough. I didn't feel satisfied. I didn't feel fulfilled. Think about when you guys have to make a hard judgment call about a situation. Maybe you're thinking about, like, where you're going to go to college, or you're thinking about, maybe I do need to consider, like, stop. I don't need to be this person's friend anymore because really, it's really not good for my life. Or maybe you're, you really want to send that risky text. Or there's, you're feeling the temptation. There's that Snapchat that you want to send. And all of a sudden, you're like, nope, I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to go this way, or I'm going to decide I'm going to be a bigger person and still stay friends with this, with this individual. In those moments, you typically feel pretty good, right? You feel validated, like you did the right thing. That you were wise in the choice that you were making. 
In reality, though, that wisdom is not yours, that it should not be attributed to you. That sense of fulfillment is selfish because you're saying, I did the right thing. On another level, knowledge, knowing things, is never enough. Just to know, like, facts about God, just to know about an individual is never enough to feel fulfillment, to have true fulfillment. It might be temporary, but it's not going to exist forever. The pursuit of knowledge is something that is good, but it is not something that will keep going to give you satisfaction all the time because you're always going to want to have that next thing. You're always going to want to make that good next judgment call because it makes you feel good. But that's foolishness on our part. To seek after wisdom is good, but it's not going to fulfill us. We're wise or foolish in wisdom. We're also foolish in escapism. Like this one is probably the one that's going to be the most applicable example from Scripture. We often think that things or ideas or what we tell ourselves are, what gonna, are going to satisfy us, when in reality those things fall short so many times. We're going to look, uh, starting in uh, chapter 2 here, it says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. and Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, from my heart, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. He talks about all these successes, all these things that he felt like were good. He had treasures. He had riches. He had bought slaves because the world had told him that to buy slaves is to be a good thing. He had concubines. He had singers. He had parties. He said, if I saw something that looked good that I wanted, I took it because the world told me that was good. But it didn't satisfy. This is a theme we see even in stories today. We think about something like the Christmas Carol, right? Uh, we think about like this man, this individual that is consumed by greed and a desire to hold on to the things that are, that are physical, the money, all these things that he owns, when in reality he's blinded to the good things that are surrounding him in life and the things that have passed him by. And you guys have wants that pop up all the time. I have wants that pop up all the time. Your leaders do. Johnny does. You have things that will pop up all the time, and you seek after these things because they feel like escapes. Some of you guys, they're the people that are sitting around you. Some of you, it's your job. Some of you guys, it's school. Some of you guys, it's money. Some of you guys, it's porn. Some of you are so caught up in saying that my sexuality is the thing that's going to define me the most, and I'm going to be satisfied when I figure out what that is. Here's the thing. None of these things will satisfy. None of these things will fulfill you. Momentarily, they might. 
But Solomon says he went after everything that he could. He took everything he wanted. He did what he wanted, and it was just like wind. It disappeared. It wasn't worth it. That nothing under the sun is worth it. It's all vanity. It's all just there. That these things, these little things that we have in life, these earthly things that mimic satisfaction will never truly fulfill. We're just going to keep going for whatever that next thing is and we feel lost. We do it all the time. The last way that I think that we're foolish is in legacy. This is the idea of, ref- the idea of legacy, if you don't know what this means, is the idea of reflecting on what you believe and what you are leaving for those behind you. Now, that's not something that's inherently bad. I was up here last year talking about that legacy can be a good thing. But what's going to be hit on here is the fact that if we're so caught up in what we leave and what we have and who we're leaving it to, we're missing what God has given us. That these things, they're just going to pass away anyway. Does it really matter? Look with me. We're going to keep looking in chapter 2 here. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Solomon's saying that the heart of a man who focuses so hard on the fact that I'm, I'm working hard to have these things and these things are going to be left and I have to think about what is going to be provided for me before I have to leave it to them, that you're missing the point. That all of that stuff just disappears in the wind. That all these things are nothing. That it's just all vanity. Some of you guys probably think this way. Some of you guys probably consider some of these things. Some of you probably get angry when you don't get paid on time at your job, right? There's some of you guys that are probably anxious about your future, that you're constantly thinking about, here's what's to come and what am I to do with what I leave behind? How much value is placed on those things? I'm somebody that's a very anxious person. It's been a, it's been a tough year, uh, like There have been many sleepless nights where I'm just thinking about what's to come and what the future holds. And in reality, I've missed out on so many things. I always tell, I tell people that one of the things I like to do before I go to bed is I reflect on what does my legacy look like for the day? What did I leave for the day? And sometimes that's really good because it's helpful for me to figure out, okay, did I do things that would reflect Christ well? But then in my anxiety, I start to think, well, I didn't do this, and this person probably hates me, and they probably think that I did something wrong, or they're probably going to view Christ poorly because of what I did. And all of a sudden, it becomes a spiraling thing because I'm so focused on what I'm leaving. That the work and the things that we do, they're good, and they can be good, but ultimately, it's vanity. The reality of it is that we are foolish. That's just the reality of it. 
Because of our sin, because of who we are at our core, we are fallen people in the need of something greater. We're always going to be seeking for some sort of fulfillment, that next thing that's going to make us feel good, when in reality, we're always going to be dissatisfied. I'm telling you guys right now, you will feel satisfied just for that little bit. But it's not going to stick. Unless we trust in God's wisdom. Unless we trust in God's wisdom. So I want to look for our last little bit here at how our foolishness is outplayed by the amazing wisdom of who God is. And so, that first thing is that God has given you a good life. God has given you a good life. Solomon eventually saw that the life that was provided for him was not something that needed more, but instead was just enough. Look at these, starting in uh, verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Solomon sees what God is doing. He understands. He's getting this picture, this understanding of what it looks like that God is saying a good life is when you're provided something to eat, something to drink, and that work that you enjoy toil that you can enjoy, something that you can do to go after his kingdom and have, find joy in it. The reason that he recognizes this is because he finally sees that God is enough to satisfy. Think about all the times you hear people talking about how they hate their job. Or think about how you think about, like, oh, man, like, I hate school. Probably you, some of you guys are thinking about the fact that you have to go do homework after gather and have to wake up early tomorrow morning. And you're probably thinking, I hate school. And that's one attitude to think of it. That's to be, to be dissatisfied. But what if our attitude switched and we were thankful to have a place that we could go? A good school. A place where we don't have to worry about what's to come next. That we have meals. That our things are provided for us. And instead of being dissatisfied in what's provided, say, God, thank you for what you have given me. This is good. This is good enough. God has provided these things and himself for you in those moments because that's who he is. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants what's best for you. So we see his wisdom also in the fact that God uses seasons. God uses seasons. Recognizing that life doesn't always go the way that we want it to shouldn't be frustrating to us, but it should put us in a state of reflection. God uses different things in different times in our lives to teach us things, to point things out, to give us a sense of fulfillment, to understand that there are good things to come. This next passage I'm going to show is almost a list of different ways that God uses different seasons, these different times that pop up in our lives. It says, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, 
time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to hear, tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? Wisdom doesn't come from us trying to fix problems our way. Fulfillment doesn't come from that. Our fulfillment isn't defined on the way that we define success, on the way that we say, hey, that was a win and that was a failure. We're sinful, remember? We're fallen. We're going to mess that definition up. Fulfillment lies in trusting that God will use the season that you are in. I think there's a lot of times when we come out and we say, I don't want the good times to end. Like, for example, you might be finally dating that person that you've been wanting to go on a date with for a long time, right? Or maybe you are finally got your GPA to the point where you want it so that you have good options when school comes up. Or maybe you are so excited that you actually got in that sports team that you've been trying out for, that you've been working hard to make sure that you could qualify, or maybe you finally got in that friend group or befriended that person that you've been trying to befriend. What if our lives are like this example that he uses? What if there's a time to date, but then there's a time to break up? I'm going to be real. It's probably like most of you guys that are dating right now because high school relationships last like three weeks, you know? What if there's a time to have a really good GPA and then there's a time to get a D on that final paper? What if there's a time to actually get on that sports team they've been waiting for for so long, and then there's a time to break your leg before the season starts and you can't play? What if there's a time when all of a sudden you're like, I get to be friends with this person I want to be friends with for so long, and then there's a time when you realize that they're a jerk and they stab you in the back? How do you respond in those other moments? Do you respond the same way you did in the good moments? Do you say, God, I'm trusting you because my life is really good right now. And then when life gets hard, do you say, God, I'm really trusting you because my life is really hard right now. Do you feel fulfilled in those moment, moments? Are you reflecting in those moments and saying, how is God going to use this? And I trust in God's goodness. Our fulfillment isn't determined on successful seasons or what we would say is successful. Our fulfillment is determined on the fact that God has provided himself for us. And that's good enough. And that's why my last point I want us to see is that a desire to find meaning shouldn't lead to ourselves. It should lead to God. That good feeling that we get shouldn't be the thing that drives us I mean, the good feeling you get when you have Taco Bell, I mean, five hours later, you're regretting it. Am I right? Can I get an amen? Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> the interesting thing here is that we have a God-given task. And my, these, these are the last two verses I want us to see. I perceived that whatever God does endure forever, endures forever, excuse me, nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. The fact that we know God is working, 
that he has already done everything that he can do and he will do what he says he's going to do, that those things are set, that is what our fulfillment lies in. That that is good enough. That we could do our best to change whatever it is, whatever we want it to be, but I'm going to tell you right now, God's not going to change it. To be satisfied, to be fulfilled is the fact that God is good and perfect and he will have what is best for you. I love that last verse, though. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. God seeks what has been driven away. Because of our sin, we're driven away. We're gone. There's no way to be with God. There's no way for us to be with him because we are sinful, because of where we were at. Imagine reading this at the time, what you would think, Jesus wasn't in the picture. What does that look like? How do we understand that? But to look at it now and say, God knew Jesus was going to be there. Jesus was going to be our fulfillment. He was the one that's going to give us life. He is the one who has given us life. And so if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, like, I'm at a really hard point in my life. I don't know what to do. I'm being pushed to the edge. I'm not sure what this next step is. I want to tell you right now, God has something good for you. That it's not going to be in these things that you take. It's not going to be in these things that, are, that the world tells you will help you. That it's in his goodness. That it's in what his son has done on the cross. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, life is actually going really well right now. Like, thank God, you know. The fact that he has, like, actually provided all the things I've asked for. I'm going to tell you right now, those seasons change. But if you're on that mountaintop, still seek after God and say, I'm satisfied with what you've given me. The fact that Christ has given his life, his work on the cross is enough. So I want you to see that God's grace is all the fulfillment we could ever need. You can look all over. You can look inward. You can look at your own head. You can try to, try to figure out emotionally where you're at. But I'm telling you right now, if it doesn't start with the understanding of saying that God is my ultimate fulfillment, you will never be satisfied. This book uh, is really good. It can be challenging, though. And it's wild that we read this so long after and these things feel so real. But what I want you guys to see is that God's cup of grace overflows, that it is for you. And if you have questions about what that looks like, what that means, talk to the leaders that are at your table. Talk to Johnny and I. We would love to have that discussion with you. What we're going to do now, though, is I'm going to pray. We're going to spend some time in discussion. Uh, and then I'll come back up because there's some things I want to do with prayer that correlate with my talk, all right? So if you bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for you and your goodness and the fulfillment that you've given us through your son and his work on the cross. Lord, let us never take that for granted. Let it never be something that we forget, that we are not satisfied in, but that we can look at it and say, that is enough. And Lord, whatever we're struggling with, whatever holds us back in those moments, help us to recognize those things and to say, I need to change something.
help stir in our hearts that we need to figure out something better. And ultimately, that's you. I thank you for that, Lord, and I thank you that we get to be here and do this in your presence and for your son and his work on the cross. Amen, I pray. Amen.